Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin taking a look at Asia Pacific markets, which are trading largely in the red this morning following a mixed session on Wall Street overnight. Joining me as we break down all the market action, Ryan Huang. Good morning. Morning, Michelle. Good to hear you. Emails are flying, analyst reports are being prepared, and the markets are determining how to react to Singapore's $123 billion 2023 budget, which Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Finance, Lawrence Wong, unveiled in Parliament yesterday in the afternoon. Now, among the major headlines, the 2023 budget aims to alleviate rising costs for many Singaporeans, also generating additional revenue to close the budget gap. Now, the government plans to increase cash transfers, CDC vouchers, and other forms of assistance by $3 billion in the coming fiscal year, bringing the grand total to $9 billion. If we break down the sectors of the economy that are likely to benefit, analysts say at top of the list are consumer-oriented stocks. So companies like F&B manufacturer Fraser & Neve, supermarket chain Sheng Siong, and restaurant and catering chains like Kim Lee and Jumbo, they could enjoy higher revenue once people have more money in their pockets. Commercial real estate investment trusts like Keppel Reed also likely to attract renewed attention. So Ryan, what are some other sectors of the economy that could benefit? Yeah, I'm looking forward to those CDC vouchers and all the rebates that I'm going to be getting. Mm. And I think everyone else is also rubbing their hands with delight about the goodies that will be in store in the coming year. And like you pointed out, they will be putting the money to use somewhere. So consumer stocks are likely to benefit. So we could be in for more spending at perhaps the likes of FNN, uh, grocery chain Sheng Siong, and also food companies, food-related companies like Jumbo Group and Kim Lee could all benefit from people having more money in their pockets. So that is something to look forward to. Also worth watching out for is the sector for aged care where Singapore is moving to add more resources for lower-income seniors, so also cash handouts. Uh, so this is the top-up to the Elder Care Fund by $500 million and the Medifund by $1.5 billion. So in terms of beneficiaries, we could be looking at Raffles Medical Group or IHH Healthcare Berhad. And manpower could also be in focus in the coming days. Uh, we've got, for example, more training in the terms of... Um, the Job Skills Integrators Program, that could see more solution providers stepping up to have more contracts, for example. So that could be something in store for the likes of HRNet Group and also National Productivity Fund is going to be topped up by $4 billion. And that's also a driver for more innovation and more demand for programs that can drive innovation. So these are some of the potential beneficiaries you can watch out for in the coming days. Fantastic overview. Now, if all goes as projected, Singapore will run a deficit of $0.4 billion in the next fiscal year, or about 0.1% of GDP. That's about one-third of last year's budget deficit, and it moves the government back in the direction of running surpluses again. So we talked about some of the potential winners, Ryan. What about the losers, you know, the sectors of the economy that could feel a pinch from the 2023 budget? 
Yeah, the goodies are pretty substantial, so it has to be paid somehow. Someone <laughs> has to foot the bill, and this is where taxes come in. So Singapore is raising taxes for higher value properties. So this is partly to do with helping to fund some of its programs as well as to, I think, give a bit of a signal that it wants to see those who can afford to pay more or contribute more do so to help those who can't. So that's an important signal because it is going to be focusing on residential properties in excess of 1.5 million up to 3 million. So typically, these will be condos. So that will see an additional 1 percentage point um, rate hike when it comes to um, taxes. Uh, also, there's going to be an increase in the tax rate for corporates. So this is with the alignment of the global minimum tax rate, which is a move that's underway in the coming years. So right now, we are looking at 15% from 2025. So Singapore has plenty of um, um, grants as well as initiatives to bring it down below 15. So what it has to do now is to figure out how to top it back up to 15 so it doesn't lose any of the revenue. Uh, At the same time, it might mean corporates will have to think twice what it means to be in Singapore, to be um, being taxed at a minimum 15% tax rate. Do they still want to be in Singapore? Mm. But of course, there are other reasons for them to be here. So that is going to be something they will have to um, balance in the coming years to see what is the value proposition for Singapore. And among those feeling the pinch from the 2023 budget, my friends on the road, car buyers, particularly those of more expensive vehicles, definitely likely to feel the pinch of those higher registration fees. Uh, Stamp duties for residential properties worth more than $1.5 million. So property buyers of a certain segment of the market also affected because those uh, buyer stamp duties for properties worth more than $1.5 million also going up. If we take a step back, uh, I know you're excited about your GST vouchers coming in, but what are your biggest takeaways from this year's budget, Ryan? I think it has to do with the word social compact, uh, or at least the word social compact. And also, I think I'll throw this in as well, resilience. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of support for families, paternity leave being doubled for dads. So that's good news. Uh, Also Mm -hmm. in store is more recognition for working mums. And also if you look at what's in store for some of the gig workers, you have a bit of a CPF adjustment as well to recognise the gap they have right now in terms of the structural gap, how things are for gig workers. So that is going to be a bit of a boost. Baby bonus, cash gifts is also part of the pipeline. So there is this whole ecosystem being built right now that you know, they're encouraging babies um, and then you've got the baby bonus and then when you have a baby you have the paternity leave in store to help you um, grow or rear your kids so that is uh, something I think they've looked very, looked at very closely and it's a great step in the right direction but I think the also other takeaway I'm looking at is what's not mm-hmm. in budget which is I think for some people um, they were looking out for more sustainability agenda mm-hmm. items like, yeah. for example, credits or initiatives or discounts to buy EVs uh, and in some cases, energy grants because of the rising cost of um, power. So these are things perhaps you'll see in later budgets. Absolutely, yeah. I spoke with a tech, um, a tech work group, SG Tech, and they were hoping to see sustainable uh, initiatives that would help the tech sector 
power on as well. All right, let's turn our attention to Turkey, where rescuers continue to pull survivors from beneath the rubble more than a week after a massive earthquake hit the country. In Istanbul, the Turkish Stock Exchange reopens this afternoon for the first time since a sell-off that erased billions of dollars of market value in the first days after the quake hit. So what are we expecting when trading in Turkey resumes? Yeah, so it's been nearly a week since it was closed and you might remember the fallout from the response. Um, People just selling first and asking questions later and that led to billions of dollars being lost in market cap uh, from the Turkish companies listed there. So what it is hoping to do, at least based on reports, is the government coming back in again in a big fashion, channeling billions of liras to just prop up the stock market. And this is coming through from pension funds, state lenders, and also they are planning tax waivers for stock buybacks. So it's a strong signal that they want the stock market to withstand the um, opening bell and hopefully revive some of the sentiment back in the markets. Uh, So this is uh, encouraging right now. If you look at what we have based on some of the ETFs tracking Turkish stocks, uh, Mm -hmm. they have started to move up slightly. So if you look at the UK-traded iShares MSCI Turkey UCITS ETF, that's up 3.8%. And then the US-traded iShares MSCI Turkey ETF up over 1%. So some encouraging signs for the resumption of trading in Turkey. Well, even before the calamity hit, Turkish stocks were amongst the world's worst performers this year. So we'll see today whether Istanbul's latest measures boost confidence as well as those share prices. Let's turn our attention to the United States. This is Your Money with me, Michelle Martin. He's Ryan Huang this morning. Investors in the U.S. are digesting the latest consumer price numbers. U.S. inflation clocking in at 6.4% in January. That is down a tick from December, much lower than the 9.1% peak that we saw about six months ago. But even though things are moving in the right direction, analysts say the devil is in the details and that the details in this economic print is worrying. Why is that, right? Yeah, it really depends on how you look at the glasses, how full of empty. So I'll start with good news. So good news is hmm. inflation numbers are starting to moderate. So for the past seven months now, it's starting to come down. So the not so good news is it was above expectations. So the consensus forecast was for 6.2%. It came in at 6.4%. And again, the good news was it came down from 6.5% in the prior reading. So it does show that things are coming down, but overall, above 6 is still not where they want it to be. So not so um, much progress as they hope. They are looking at a much lower number, but at least it's in the right direction. So I guess um, it does leave some worry among investors that the Fed might be inclined to still keep rates higher for longer. So far, the U.S. economy has held up pretty well in the face of the U.S. Federal Reserve's efforts to really rein it in. Getting inflation down to 2% looks like it's going to be a challenge. Let's check out the market reaction to those CPI numbers now. Ryan, what did investors do when they heard the news overnight? Did they buy or did they sell? I think they mostly sold. Even though we saw a mixed session, we saw, after the report, a bit of a dip. And let's start with the headline numbers around Wall Street. The Dow eventually down 0.5%. The S&P 500 trimmed some of its losses to fall 0.03%. 
the Nasdaq, though, interestingly, managed to recoup some of its earlier losses and close mm-hmm. higher by 0.6%. But overall, there was a knee-jerk re- uh, reaction. Uh, investors selling off on the worry that the Fed might need to keep rates higher above the expected terminal rate of around 5% to as much as over 6%. So that is uh, something that investors are trying to grapple with. You know, if all the Fed speak we've been hearing from in the past few days, we've heard from two overnight about how they are committed to keeping rates the way they are because inflation is just not coming down in the same um, type of uh, speed they hope to see it come down to. So it is um, keeping investors on their toes that they might be in store for more rate hikes at least uh, longer. Yep. If I take a look at things, stocks swung between the positive and the negative territory overnight before finishing mixed. In the bond markets, yields climbed higher. The US dollar, meanwhile, hit a six-week high on the news. In corporate news, we have earnings this morning from Coca-Cola and Airbnb. So just how are higher prices affecting Coke's earnings, Ryan? All right. I'm a big fan of Coke. So Coke Zero is my go-to drink. Um, It looks like demand is pretty good for Coke. And this is uh, something that's defined price hikes. So Coke is in a good place. It's able to pass on some of its costs to consumers who are happy to drink it up. All right, Coke in a good place. What about Airbnb with many more of us traveling? It opened its books overnight and for the first time ever is in the black for the year. So how much did it make? Yeah, I also like Airbnb because when you get a place, you get a living room as well, which gives you much more space than a room at a hotel. So I think there are a lot more people like me because Airbnb is doing well. So it reported fourth quarter revenue and profit to achieve its first profitable year. So it is a good sign of things to come. Yeah, it's travel as usual. Let's bring the focus to Singapore corporate earnings now and we do this with Up or Down, a little game show. Ryan, let's start with Creative Technology. Okay, Creative Technology. I am going with Up because I think more people will jump on the Creative bandwagon after passing Sim Wong Hu and maybe buy more creative products in the coming quarters. Okay. I'm looking at the numbers. Uh, creative technology lost more than 10 million US dollars in the first half of its fiscal year. So the maker of the Sound Blaster sound cards does expect its margins to improve moving forward, but it's not really predicting a quick return to profitability. So that would be a down in my books. Let's look at the glove maker, UG Healthcare. Okay. I am going with down for UG Healthcare. And this is pretty much a story about how the beneficiaries of COVID-19 are now on the other side of the table. With Doscon Green, for example, now the current status, we've not seen as much a strong demand for things like gloves, PPEs, and UG Healthcare is seeing that play through in its earnings. Lower selling prices of its stuff plus higher costs of doing what it already does. So it has reported a loss of $4.78 million in its first half of FY 2023, which is a sharp reversal from profits last year. Definitely down in my book for glove maker UG Healthcare, losing nearly $5 million in the second half of 2022. So reporting, quote, a rapid decline in the average selling prices of its products across all segments. 
Let's look at the fintech company iFast. Alright, iFast is not having a good year so far and I am looking at it down. It's posted an 82% drop in its net profit for its fourth quarter at $1.3 million. So it is partly due to tough market conditions plus some of its expenses coming through from strategic investments. So some headwinds for iFast. Indeed. So, the company facing a number of challenges. It's taking losses after pulling out of India. iFast profits again plunging more than 80% during the fourth quarter of the year, which can only mean one thing in my books. That's a down for iFast. Finally, Elite Commercial REIT. All right. Elite has a portfolio that focuses a lot in the UK market. And I'm going with down because it's just posted a drop in its DPU by nearly 20%. This is for a second half of its financial year. And it's seen quite a few vacant investment properties, so not really monetizing them. That's it. So we're 4 for 4, all down this morning, but fret not some positive news. Far East Hospitality Trust is posting a 13% jump in distributions. Don't say I'm all bad news this morning. All right, just one more story before I let you go, Ryan. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the AI wars between Google and Microsoft and other players and how uh, when Google launched its Bard chatbot that attracted a lot of scrutiny when Bard gave the wrong answer to a question, I think it was about space exploration. Well, it seems that Microsoft's attempts to integrate ChatGPT into its Bing search engine are facing some challenges as well. So tell us what happened during the live demo when Bing was asked to analyze some of the latest earnings from Gap and Lululemon. Yeah, it does look like a lot of people overlooked this. Uh, so it actually seems like ChatGPT is not foolproof. It does make mistakes. And in terms of the earnings it tried to analyze from Gap and Lululemon, mm -hmm. it missed some numbers. And it looks like some numbers were actually made up. So <laughs> I guess the AI coding still needs to be uh, reviewed. Um, and I'm not sure what went wrong, but it looks like nobody caught it at that point. Someone else did. An independent search researcher uh, put up a post on Monday and he's just everyone's just jumping on the hype bandwagon when it comes to OpenAI's ChatGPT and everyone's overlooking the potential mistakes. And I think now this is a wake-up call that you need to look at things a bit more closely. But at the same time, uh, Microsoft is not as hugely dependent as Google on search engine revenue. So I think that's also a differentiator that this is more value add for Microsoft, whereas for Google, it's pretty much it's bread and butter. So you have companies rushing to integrate these tools into their own uh, offerings, but they're far from foolproof. In fact, analysts say this tendency to make things up, there's an actual term for it, it's called hallucination. That's what AI experts are coining this mm. phenomenon as. Uh, tools based on large language just make stuff up, apparently, when they don't know uh, or they don't have enough information around a particular area. Sort of like, you know, you're sitting for an examination and you don't quite know how to answer a question, you just pull whatever it is that you do know and you make it sound like you're answering the yeah, question. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's what AI chatbots have been doing as well. Thank you so much, Ryan. Ryan Huang there. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. 
Available on Google Play or the App Store.